All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 206, and this time it really is 206. I fucked up on the last episode with Mitch and called that 206. That was actually 205, but this is the real 206 with the gang. We got Lonnie St. Louis Kiss. What's up? Uh, Marcus Almighty Mark and the 69th Blizzard Ken. And this is, of hey. course, the Kiss FAQ podcast, and I'm your host today, Julian Gill. So thank you for joining us again. Thank you, everyone out there, for your feedback and reactions to the last couple of episodes, especially the one with Mitch LaFon about his interview with the one and only Paul Stanley. Great feedback, great conversation. Mitch, thanks again for coming on the show. Paul, thanks again for going on Mitch's show. It all filters down and around and around. So, uh, you know, very cool stuff. And obviously there's going to be more interviews, I think, happening as the end of the road uh, becomes clearer uh, Friday. We'll see. Uh, Ken, oh, you, Friday, guys, midnight. You, you just posted a picture on Facebook earlier. You got the new magazine. I was talking with someone about that yesterday. And mm. uh, you tell us about it. What was it and uh, who's in it? Who did it? Well, yeah, I don't have it in front of me now because it's oh, in a different room. I'm sorry, but it's you know, in the mail today. Um, got the new Goldmine magazine, and uh, Ace Fraley is on the cover. Um, I know it's an interview with uh, Ken Sharp. Uh, does the interview, and uh, I, I assume I haven't read it yet because um, I just got it. So um, I assume it's about the new album uh, and the new music and um, the only other things that are in there. There's some Alice Cooper stuff going on in the in the uh, magazine too. Um, and I think Twisted Sister too. So I just kind of paste it real quick. Um, it does have, I know it has that uh, other, it has another space suit, silver space suit, uh, you know, astronaut suit. Not the one that he wears where he's sitting in the, uh, the chair, but just another one. I know we've seen the one in orange like an orange uh, flight suit or test flight suit. Uh, there's a silver one too, I guess, or they colored it on the other one or vice versa. So that was one of the pictures I saw when I just kind of quick flip through it. So looking forward to reading it. Oh, you haven't read it. I thought you were going to give us a summary of it because I never find I'm it. not. I just, I swear. I just checked the mail just, you know, half an hour ago. Oh, bummer. I'm, I'm, I'm looking sorry. forward to hearing more about there you go. Mark, you're the man. Yeah, that's the Look at you. And of course, if it's by Ken Sharp, it'll be quality. So that always helps. Yeah. All right, All right. cool stuff. Let's uh, get into today's first topic. And uh, that is Judas Priest. All right. It's, it's a nice segue into what we're going to talk about, actually. Ken and I both went to see uh, the Judas Priest show this past weekend. I had a fantastic time. I've been listening to Priest nonstop since then, digging into, you know, the what is it, the 30th anniversary of Defenders, 30th anniversary of Turbo, which both came with live CDs. I think the anniversary edition of uh, Screaming came with a live uh, CD or DVD in that case, and just been mm -hmm. listening to all their live shit. They did, what, 16, 15, 16 songs in their set? They did all the highly recognizable stuff. They did a couple of deeper cuts. Desert Plains, I will say, is a deeper cut, as is uh, Delivering the Goods. And, after, and 
playing four songs off your new album in 2018, I'd say is pretty deep. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't spend a lot of time in dialogue, which is yeah. refreshing. And they basically let the music do the talking. And the set clocked in at under 80 minutes. Um, very good light show. They had some fog, and that was pretty much it. I think a very little bit of flame just at one point during the show, um, a reliance on the screens. But, you know, there were a few things that we were, like, wondering, what are these sorts of effects or things that Judas Priest is doing to get through their shows in 2018 that perhaps Kiss could bring to the table? And for those of you um, who we're talking with today who haven't seen Priest, other legacy acts that you've seen in concert, um, or even Guns N' Roses for Lonnie. Uh, or maybe certain other acts. I see. I see other bands. Yes, we do. <laughs> willingly, willingly and unwillingly, right? Ah, uh, yes, willingly and unwillingly. Yes. Um, so, so Mark, obviously, we're, I mean, I'm going to start with you on this. I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen other bands do that you think that Kiss for the end of the road should be thinking about, perhaps utilizing in order to uh, make the show experience easier? in terms of wear and tear, maybe easier in terms of uh, cost? Well, I mean, we, we already talked about this before in the sense that I think at this point it just would make sense now that the cat kind of came out of the bag with the whole uh, vocals on tape or vocal assistance. I think it would be in his best interest to have that happening. I mean, lots of bands are doing it, so I think that it would be something that would definitely help him get through Name the rigors of bands that are doing it. <laughs> Name fifteen bands. Well, I think yeah, Judas no, Priest no, are one. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, you're right. I'm kidding. Yeah, Judas right. Priest is one. I'm yeah, kidding. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, you know, these these tours are lengthy. Some of these vocals are incredibly high and hard yeah. to do. And imagine trying to do that for like 150 shows without some sort of assistance. It ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Paul Stanley can't do his stuff, obviously, without some sort of assistance. Now, I think that's shown and probably, you know confirmed now but anyways um there's a few other things i was thinking about that might be cool everybody's been talking about for example what kind of stage are kiss going to use on this tour everybody's saying you know oh i hope it's something new and something different um one thing that i've never seen kiss do but i've seen other bands do that i really enjoyed actually is what would it be like to see kiss in the round i would love to see something like that i know yes has done it def leppard have done it uh, there's been a few bands that have done an in-the-round sort of stage. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about in-the-round stage is that when it's mobile and it's turning around, you don't you don't, you don't don't have that problem where you can't see them. Like You don't get something like what happened with Julian, where he's in front of a bunch of speakers and doesn't see anything. If you have a rotating stage, at one point, you'll always get to see the band, right? They're moving around, and everybody gets an equal portion of the band when it's rotating. I think an in-the-round stage would be something interesting for a KISS show. But, you know, that, that, of course, though, would make them not have as much maybe pyro or maybe wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to rely as much on screens and stuff like that. But I think it's an interesting thing to consider. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed half of that with that phone call, but I apologize. <laughs> um, unobstructed views, though, you know, is and you get to sell more tickets in the round. Of yeah. course, as Def Leppard found in 1988, and when did they do it again? 92, and God, God, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Ken would have loved an unobstructed view at Judas Priest. He made a new friend, didn't you? Well, well yeah. I mean, he didn't obstruct my view. I mean, his head came up to about right here, okay? <laughs> so, But he kept scooting over, 
and kind of mm. pushing Julian and I mm. left, but he was going in front of me. And he's like right in front of me. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? And he kept going like this because he, he wasn't very tall. He, he, um, he was like a freaking human meerkat. Eventually, eventually <laughs> I, I, I moved forward up to Stand the seat in front of me. Yeah, and, and then he was kind of like frustrated at that point. He couldn't, you know, kind of edge it's it. Not your fault. My my territory, you know, stay out of my territory, Mister. So uh, yeah, that was the only obstructed view, and that it really it didn't obstruct me, but it was just kind of an annoyance. All right. So what are some of the things that you thought about a Judas Priest that Kiss would, uh, you know, possibly well, be able to yeah. utilize? Well, first of all, um, the the not no no banter. I mean, there's no banter going on at all at Judas Priest. Uh, they can pretty much plow through the set list one after the other. Um, they do this extend a couple songs out a little bit, but not not so much um, really. And and not even trying to get so much. I mean, a little bit of audience participation. Um, you know. Rob Halford tried to get a little bit of, you know, participation, but not, he didn't go overboard or anything, just a little bit. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, otherwise, um, they had this, this stage with, you know, the, um, I don't want to call it little walls, right? The walls that went around the stage, kind of a picture of their, of the part of the, I guess, album cover kind of look. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's okay. I mean, Kiss can do something like that, but. I think in a in a larger maybe a I don't know some kind of larger scape I guess but um, otherwise I don't know I mean the 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 vocals the, the only other thing is is Rob Powers vocals I know those those high high notes scream notes there's there's no way uh, uh, but there are some things they did do which was interesting where he did a high scream note and the guitar picked up right as part of that screen note and extended it in the yeah. exact same key. I mean, it sounds like he's sick, but it, it's the guitar that pick, picked up and went into it. And then he went into a solo. So that was kind of an interesting way to do some of that kind of things. But uh, I mean, it was, it was good. I can't think of any other things that, you know, Judas Priest did. They didn't have a, a major stage. There's no levitation. There's no major bombs going off or anything. They just, like I said, they just get up there and play. light on the music. Really, yeah, yeah, just rely on the music and plow through the set list, and it was still good. Yeah, one of the things that I enjoyed at that show, and Lonnie, I'm, I'm sorry we're leaving for you, you're, you all alone for an extended period, um, was when when Rob was talking about Glenn Tipton wrote this song, you know, to introduce one. And then when they get to the solo that Glenn would have played, Richie's up there playing it. Um, I think, or one, either him or Andy, obviously. And on the screen behind them, they've got a can footage of Glenn playing on stage doing oh, the same yeah. solo, you know, which, which was a nice way of maybe, you know, bringing someone who's not there that night into the show, which I don't see why Kiss, you know, it probably caused nervous breakdowns with some fans. You know, let's say, you know, Tom is doing his solo and on the big screen, you've got Ace doing the same thing or Tommy playing the solo solo and ace shown up on the video or let's say Vinny or bruce or mark eric, eric you know, Carr. or exactly you know we, we get there to the drummers 
that uh, you know Eric Singer can be playing along to a similar beat, but up on the screen you're seeing someone who's not there. I like the idea. I don't know how necessarily it could be executed uh, in Kiss without you know certain segments of fans getting annoyed, offended, but I think I think it's a possibility. An- another thing that they did, and you mentioned it, um, with the notes being ex- Rob's vocal notes being ex- extended by the guitars. Um, Gary Corbett, Derek Sherinian, uh, I think I said, isn't I usually get it wrong, but you know, <laughs> when they were on tour with the band, they filled a, a gap. And Gary, you know, talks about it in interviews that his role there was to plug the holes made by Paul and Gene running around and not, you know, focusing on their instruments, whether it was low end with a bass note or enhancing an explosion with a keyboard rumble, um, maybe having an offstage keyboardist to patch some of the holes, whether they be musical or vocal. You know, for a chorus, you know, hit a hit a MIDI sequence or whatever you do, you know, just just to play the notes and enhance it um, where Paul is weak, allow him to sing softly, but then plug something in on top of it to thicken the sound up. So from what Ken said, I think that's totally uh, a possibility. Lonnie, you see a lot of you've seen some diverse shows in terms of in, in, in terms of the. <laughs> the acts and the genres i guess we have we have diverse interests in my house so i see a variety of shows no it's Uh, always good to get outside the box and see but it is so it is um i don't know how and you know i'm sitting here kind of you know listening to what you guys are saying and thinking about a show i saw recently um i don't know what kind of what kind of venues kisser's gonna play yet i mean apparently we're gonna find that out soon um but I saw Taylor Swift in St. Louis recently, and it was interesting because when you walked in, everyone got a wristband. Everyone got a wristband as you walked in, and you put it on, obviously. And when she was getting ready to come on, you're supposed to pull the tab out of your wristband. And the whole stadium was the light show, and your wristbands would light up in sequence to the song she was playing. The whole light, the whole stadium was a light show. Like everybody's wristband would be red at one point, or certain parts of the certain parts of the stadium would be red, other parts would be yellow or, or pink or blue or whatever. And it was all based on GPS, I guess, of where you actually physically were in the building. It was actually really cool. Um, you can say what you want that it's Taylor Swift, but it was actually pretty cool. And it's something Kiss being the you know visual uh, presentation that they like to have. Um, it's something that I could see them see them copying is make make the whole Kiss Army that's in attendance part of the part of the light show. It was really, really cool, actually, the way she did it. Um, and then she also did something that was really cool that I could see Kiss, you know, maybe maybe taking a page from is that she, obviously she had, she had the main stage that was in one end zone of the, of the stadium. And then she had two small stages in the other end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, she flew out to one of the stages and then walked <laughs> to the other one and did a couple songs from that one and then flew back to the other one. So like a third of the time, she was actually on the other side of, of the arena or the, or the, or the dome or wherever kind of venue that, that Kiss may be playing, um, to give those fans a closer look, as Paul Stanley would say. 
Um, you know, maybe it'd be cool if, if Eric and Tommy stay hit the main stage and like Gene and Paul, like flew out together and each did a, each did a couple songs from these other from these other stages, just, just to mix things up a little bit, just to keep things interesting and have a variety to it as opposed of, Oh, well, Paul is going to fly out to the middle and he's going to do love gun and then he's going to fly back. Well, you know what? We've seen that for, for 20 years at this point. It's not, it's not new and exciting anymore. Um, or we were talking last week about about Gene flying out and maybe drooling the blood as he's flying out into the audience or something like that. <laughs> you know, you, you get a you get a you get a, a hat or a hair full of blood or something as Gene's flying out. Just just to mix things up a little bit for one last time. You can still keep your same signature acts because Paul likes to always say that. Well, you know, people come and they they expect to see a certain show. They expect to see. Well, at this point, you know. You know, Gene does this. Gene's going to draw blood and Gene's going to fly. Well, Gene can still draw blood and Gene can still fly, but he can do it in a different manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still you can still have those aspects, but 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 switch them up to, to keep it fresh and exciting at the same time. Yeah. But I think one thing you mentioned, though, that was interesting, how you said that people are expecting to see a certain show. But there's also been a lot of vocal people who are more than willing to see a slightly different show because they've for seen sure. the same one for so long. Right. For sure. But. You have to remember, too, we are in the minority of the people in attendance. People yeah. like us that have seen them multiple, multiple, multiple times on every tour are still the minority in the audience. Like when we like when I saw him in Vegas and Julian, you, you saw it, too. Paul goes, how many people are seeing us for the first time? And at least a third of the people in the audience rose their hand. And yeah. this is Vegas where people are there staying. People are there traveling specifically to see the band. But even at that point, in that kind of venue, at least a third of the people are still seeing them for the first time. And they're expecting to see a show or expecting to see a presentation that lives up to the hype that they've heard. And what, oh, the lead singer or Paul Stanley, he's going to do this at a certain point. And Gene's going to breathe fire at a certain point, And he's going to drool blood at a certain point. And if those things don't happen, a third of the audience walks away like, well, what did I just see? That's not what I was told I was going to see when I came to see a Kiss show. So as much as we like to bitch, as much as we like to moan and complain about it, those aspects still have to be in place. But we yeah. can't. But at the same time, as we were talking about, you guys talking about different aspects that they can do. Um, you can make things still fresh and exciting with having those other elements of the show present. Um, I really like what you guys were saying about how, you know, what if at a certain point, like during I Love It Loud, I mean, you guys are talking about having showing like different members up on the screen during different parts of the show. Like I love it. You said Eric Carp on the screen, but the perfect place to have Eric Carp on the screen would be like the drum intro to I love it loud. How yeah. freaking cool would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would yeah, be awesome. Be good. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. And, and Uber kiss fans like us would eat it up. A third of the people there would say, who the F is that? And what kind of makeup does that guy have on? I've never seen that before, <laughs> but I think that would still be a way to keep things fresh and exciting for us. Now at the same time, as cool as that would be, I do not see them showing Vinny's face on the screen when <laughs> Lick It Up comes on. It's just yeah. not going to happen. And I don't see Paul having Peter Chris's face up there during pick whatever. Oh, I, to- I, to- I, to- I, to- I, I totally see them putting Peter up there. No do problem. Totally. Should. No problem whatsoever with using Peter or Ace footage. I, I think at this stage, you know, the people who left Kiss because of the Tommy and Eric makeup thing aren't coming back anyway. If, you know, if it's the end of the road and it's that lineup, it, nothing's going to matter. So they're going to put what they want up on the screen. And Tommy, you know, 
Peter and Ace are part of it. I wouldn't be surprised sure. if you see classic footage, just like you said with the I Love It Loud intro. Well, think I like about uh, think about the intro. You know, what's a, a good you know drum part? You know, Detroit. You know, so, somewhere in there. Strutter. Strutter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Per- perfect. You know, or mm-hmm. the same. For, again, we go back to the Ace thing. There's plenty of Ace. That can you can use footage of him up on screen, and I, oh. I don't think it goes uh, any way to being impractical because I don't think the majority of people in that audience, again, you like know. you just said, a would know. The people are going to know you're exactly, that oh, you're watching I, Tommy no, you're right. and there's can, Ace up on screen. People like us are going to be, oh, that's nice, that's Ace at Budokan, you know, or that's Peter at Largo, you know, oh, that was a good show, you know, good bootleg, and maybe the one person who was actually. And I say, oh, that's show. what that guy looked like 35 years ago. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> People, people like us yeah. would appreciate those. You know, it, it's like what are they little Easter eggs in the show that you know, and, and because we know that we're not going to get super deep cuts. You know, it's just not yeah. reasonable expectations. You know, they may they may have yeah. like, we, like we've talked about maybe one somewhat you know towards the more obscure you know, but nothing nothing like that. So we're not going to get two thousand four. No. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because it, when you're talking about the amount of um, people that won't be kind of in the know like we are, it's interesting because it's it's a, there's a difference in audience. You know what I mean? Like a band like the Grateful Dead have a core base of like huge amounts of loyal people that will go from show to show to show to show everywhere. Same with Pearl Jam. It's a totally different kind of audience. They can change their set list up every single night if they want to, and people won't mind because they're such diehard, constant fan. Like, it's a different fan base. KISS fans now have so much casual fans, more than diehards coming, where I think these other bands have more diehards than they do casuals. So I think that's why Paul Stanley always said that he expects to put on a certain show, right? Yeah, you know, if this is Kiss going out with their biggest show ever, you know, then you just know it's going to be about steroids. You know, everything that you kind of seen before, just more of it. So does that mean we're gonna get Dynasty outfits? Please no, no, no. That's just on steroids. Oh, that's super Kiss. Come on. No, gonna be new new costumes. That was stupid Kiss. New Dynasty style costumes with Vegas. Come on, Vegas kiss or Asylum kiss just did not work well image-wise. So, but you know another thing that we were talking about was the whole video thing. A lot of the, one thing that Rush used to do that I thought was really interesting that that saved them from a lot of talking on stage is that they did these little comical segments on screen, right? Where the, right. in between songs to introduce songs, and I mean I know that comedy is not really a thing that's associated with Kiss, but maybe they could do something. video-wise to introduce a song, you know, like some sort of video thing that'll kind of lead into the starting of another song that'll save Paul (laughs) from having to do it. But I know it's such a Paul thing to do his whole kind of rock and roll gospel thing, right? So It would save his voice if we had a lot less banter in between songs. And if we're looking to go on a two, three-year tour, wherever it is we're looking to go on, the the less the stage banter, the more the voice is going to hold up. Yeah, but 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 that's not Paul Stanley, though. No, can you change Paul at this point? No, correct. That's not Paul Stanley. Paul, Paul is Paul. I, I I just don't know whether he can help himself at this point. You know, to the point I just where can't even help <laughs> can't no. help myself. No. I can't help myself, people. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, he is so ingrained his kind of. I mean, obviously his raps are the same year to year in most in most cases. There is one other thing that I really want to make sure they do not do on this tour. I do not want a Kiss concert interrupted by a rally. I, you know, a stage check presentation and the Pledge of Allegiance. I can do without. Oh. Oh. I do. I do not happen to think. That's a great way to have a Kiss concert by mixing that in. Um, I have no, yeah. I have, I have no problem with honoring the veterans, and or any of the concepts behind what they are doing. They, it just kills the show for 15 minutes. I, I'm, a, I'm in total agreement with you. I'm, I'm very patriotic and I, I love my country and all that. But um, it, you're right. It, it kills the flow of the concert. Number one and number two. It, it's almost like you're you're pounding your own chest and patting yourself on the back and saying, "Oh, look at us! Look what we're doing." And it gets and you know you've been doing that for quite a while at this point. And it gets and it gets old at this point. You know, I, I'm I'm proud of you, and apparently you're really proud of yourself too. So it gets old. Yeah, it, it's point. become it's become a shtick. It's been done Correct. so many times now that it's really kind of worn off what it maybe originally started about and the time in which it originally started, you know. And you know, if if they want to do that sort of thing to, you know, for for the charities that they're working for the veteran groups that they're supporting, that's great. I think there are different ways that they can, yeah, they different ways that they can investigate and do it and show the video up on Kiss Online the day after without stopping a concert for it. That's all, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, opinions vary on that. But I, you know, I just don't want to see that again. Um, Julian, there was a concert I went to. I think it was Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And they they had a thing where they were uh, donating a portion of their ticket sales to charity. And I think they put it, either they, they just mentioned it. It was real quick. They mentioned it, you know, thank you for, you know, we donated, you guys donated via ticket sales, this much of money to this charity. Um, but it was real quick. I mean, they could do something like that. They could put it on the screen and show a total at the end of the concert or whatever. Um, you know, thank you for, you know, you know, thank you for coming to the show and thank you for giving to whatever this, you know, charity. Yeah. It, has, it can be just real quick and simple. They don't need to make a big, you know, big uh, to do about it. It's yeah. very kiss though to make a big to do about yeah, it. it. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of part and parcel. I mean, you could introduce the rock and roll national anthem by saying, "We've got veterans in the audience today. Raise your hand." You know, let's give everyone a round of applause. Round of let's, applause. Let's, let's do the rock and roll national anthem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, we've got <laughs> veterans working on our crew tonight who've helped bring this show to you. You, you can do it quickly without it becoming a 15-minute uh, interruption. And, right. And if people want to drone quote me for calling it an interruption, you know, again, it's an opinion. It's neither right or wrong. All right. So any other shows that anyone's seen that they've seen elements that they really think, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I got bootlegging, Julian. <laughs> I haven't had a beer in a long time since Duff Leopard. Mm. That's good. <laughs> Where, where's the hang-up button? Oh, there isn't one. <laughs> where's the hang-up button? <laughs> <laughs> Boot. 
<laughs> All right, so I can't think of any other concerts that I've been to recently that I'd actually want to see any elements, uh, you know, brought into a Kiss show. I'm just hoping to be surprised pleasantly. Oh, that's yes. nice. That's different. Oh, well, that's bigger than before. Oh, that's the same damn set. That one goes up to 11. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and hopefully, the, you know, the stage goes all the way across the stage, not leaving half the audience standing in front of a box. That would be really grand. <laughs> that's that's probably the most important thing to take away from uh, any of it. Know the venues, know the staging, and build appropriately. Scalability is a wonderful thing. When you can mm-hmm. go from that wide a stage to that wide a stage. Accordion. Yeah. It's, huh. it's science. All right. Uh, let's hit a topic from the board. And this one came up as a result of the uh, the Mitch interview. And the topic is, I don't believe Peter and Ace wasn't capable of playing on Psycho Circus. Yeah. Okay. Did you go to the reunion tour? You know, here we are. (laughs) You know, last week, what did we say? 20th anniversary of Psycho Circus. Well, capable of playing really does kind of um, envelop a broad definition of what means capable. Are they technically? Are they fiscally? Are they emotionally? And I don't think they were capable because, as we know from what Paul has said, the lawyers got involved. So if the lawyers got involved and were making life difficult for Gene and Paul, what that means they were not capable of playing because they were being difficult. Mark, from a musician's point of view... <laughs> If you're trying to get someone to do something and they're like, I'm not doing anything, let's talk about money. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I've always said this. If you are that good enough a player that, you know, that, that you're that important to the band, money shouldn't, won't be an object because, you know what I mean? That you're, you're, you'll be, if you're not needed, you'll be compensated for it. I think the whole problem with people like Peter, for example, is and according to Paul's book, they taught Peter all this stuff back in a sort of like dog trick sort of way. They told him like, okay, do this trick to cover the kind of songs, do this to cover this kind of. And I remember it was right in his book. He said that, he, that, that that's how they retaught Peter how to do it. They called it his bag of tricks that he had to do. And the problem with that is that, when you bring in to the studio this guy now to do something and Bruce Fairburn goes, nah, I don't like this now. Why don't you try something completely different and do something like this? He's going to be lost because he's so used to his certain ways of doing stuff that as soon as you start asking him to start improvising something, he's going to be completely lost. I think that's why they didn't bring people like him into the studio. They needed somebody who could like sporadically change stuff on a dime, who could do something different if need be. That ain't Peter or Chris, right? So not at that time. Maybe back in 74 and 75 it was. But, you know, and and that, that's the thing that always bothered me is when I read that he was, you know, asking for more money or that this and that about it. Well, you know, it, it, it just seems that he was barely able to get through the tour playing what he played years ago. What made him think that he deserved to get more money when he went to go do a record that he couldn't probably do, you know? Because Kiss had just made $50 million because of Ace and Peter (laughs) returning to them, and Kiss would not have made $50 million otherwise. 
because look at how well Kiss did on the Revenge tour. Yeah, part um, of it. Yeah, and and the summer. Before yeah, but that, 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 that ended fast rooms. though. Yeah, but then look at Psycho Circus. That didn't do nearly as good, and they were there. Farewell well, tour didn't do as well. They were there for that too, right? Oh, because yeah, it, it, it had already well. yeah, and it had already been done though. You know, it did better than Psycho Circus as a mm-hmm. tour and a concept. Mm-hmm. So the farewell itself, playing that card, brought a certain amount of cachet. Oh, we got to go see him because it's the last time we're going to see Kiss. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> more fool us. But uh, Peter and Ace. I I just wondered what the contract said. I never did get to read the contracts. I wasn't going to bid the stupid money in order to buy them to find out. Were there any performance bonuses in there? Because if not, that was a big mistake. If you could have thrown them an extra mil after grossing $50 million, um, yeah. to make them a little bit happier, then I'm sure you know, we, we all would have loved to have had together or what, whatever <clears throat> it was on Peter's album on Psycho Circus performed by Kiss. I think the problem is with the statement of capable, um, it leads it wide open to, you know, what are you saying capable? When you say capable, it sounds like, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't know how to play his instrument. Ace doesn't know how to play his instrument. Um, uh, it's just, it's just leading you down the wrong, the wrong yeah. track there. Uh, I do think they were capable as musicians to play it maybe they weren't able to switch up things like mark said if bruce fairbairn uh said you know uh, oh no i want you to do syncopate this and do this or that or whatever um i think again they were going to have bob ezrin produce it um and i think ace and you know peter did know bob and maybe bob would have been too tough he might have been even tougher than bruce yeah, um, I don't think I don't think Peter Chris was ready to go to boot camp again in 1998 like he was no, in 1977. To me, to me, you just got to be. Uh, if I'm a producer, you know, if it's or Eddie Kramer, you know, maybe that would have worked better. Um, just be Kiss. Just be, be yourself. Be what you were, you know, or try to uh, what you were in the 70s. Um, the style. I mean, they were able to do, you know, uh, Into the Void altogether, right, on the album. Um, it sounds fine to me. Do the rest well, that, of the album. Yeah. You know, just just, just do it. Just be kids. Don't try to be somebody else, some other band, by doing a, a different style that's not your own. You know, just be yourself. And so the capable thing is is not, you know... Yeah, they're not capable because, yes, their lawyers were getting in the way and so on, but you're not explaining it all out that way. So you need to be a little bit more specific when you say capable. It makes it sound like they can't play their instruments. Well, why did you take them out on the farewell tour then? You know, so. Well, I I think that's, it's all, it's all around the fact that I think, the record that they could have made if they those four of them just went in like you said and just said listen we're not going to try to do anything beyond each other's skill set and let's just make a record together the four of us that's one type of record right but then the, maybe the record that Paul Stanley was trying to do or envisioning was not the same record that that would have been if they would have approached it that way maybe that's the problem no he still wanted to make a Bon Jovi record you know, that's right. what I mean. Right? Yeah, even in '98, we're still wanting to make a Bon Jovi record. Yeah, and, and I think what you Aerosmith said, record. what you said, Mark, was it would have been the most honest way to go in. Of, you know, let's go in with Peter Chris' 1998 skill set, Ace Frehley, 
1998 skill set and Gene and Paul, if you know, they adapt around that because obviously yeah. th they have the capability more so. Let's get the other two guys in to play at whatever way they're playing so that their creativity brings that those original four ingredients that were Kiss back into being an honest Kiss album. Correct. And it's like it's like any team or any team sports. You know what? You you show off your strengths and you try to hide your weaknesses. And you know, you 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 take Gene and Paul, who who are your strengths, who, who you know, who, who are your leaders on on offense, if you want it, for lack of better terms. And you know what? You hide the fact that you have a poor offensive line, and you 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 scheme around that. And you know how you hide offensive line? Well, you get rid of the ball quickly. So you know what? When you go into the studio, you know what? Let's let's hide the fact that that Peter may be limited at this point or that Ace might not have the chops that we want him to have. Well, you know what? You have two guitar players in there, Paul and Ace. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe Paul plays a little bit more on the song than Ace does. Or, you know, you, you don't pipe up the drums as much or, or, or you do something to, to hide Peter's limitations if he's struggling with a certain track. You know, we bashed Cycle Circus plenty last week, but gosh, I wanted Cycle Circus to be so great when it came out. Yeah, I wanted, and we all I, did. I wanted it to be that Kiss 1998. I album. wanted it to be, yeah, I wanted it to be the album that should have came out in 1978. We all did. Maybe, maybe they didn't have five years in which to record it. Maybe they were worried about the the studio time stretching on and on and on. But you know exactly what you said. They, you hide the weaknesses. And why couldn't they have, remember in 81, 84, 85, they had Alan Schwartzberg do drum overdubs on Eric Carr, for God's sakes. You know, they had yeah. Bruce do overdubs. They had Wagner do overdubs in the 70s. You know, so none of that precluded having Peter perform with what technology had become and what session work could be brought in after the fact. If you didn't think he was doing enough symbol work, he could add that in later. You know, all of it was, you know, it, you know, even tempo can be fixed to a certain extent. It, you know, Mark, exactly. correct me if I'm totally wrong because that, <laughs> no, you, 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 know, no, you can see you can do all that. Yeah. But what, what you then lose by not having their, them on there was that magic ingredient. So, you know, maybe that's why we are still talking about Psycho Circus 20 years on, because it, it is just such a deep hole of lost opportunity, even though it does have some good songs on it. It's got some pretty yeah. bloody dire ones as well, but it does have some good material. It's got some good performances by Paul. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's like the Elder or, or in that kind of time frame where it's still fun to talk about that era. Um where, where pe people are still interested in that era of the band with the elder, just like people are still interested in era, era with Psycho Circus. Like, what happened? Why did they produce this album the way they did? It, it's still fun to talk about. We talk we talk about the elder a lot. We talk about Psycho Circus a lot for those very reasons. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally I totally agree with that. I, I did not lo lose power. This is what happens when I bring up the Lights FAQ. No, the <laughs> FAQ's up. It's, that it's a dark web when you bring up yeah. the FAQ. <laughs> so I just want to look at some other topics. I mean, has anyone else seen anything lately? Uh, the end of the wigs. I'm not going there. That's all. Vinny to go uh, full shred. Well, we already yeah, talked we, about that last week. Are they still going on about that? guess so. Uh, dun, 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 dun. 
But I did have a, another question in, and it's just to let people find out a little bit more about each of us, you know, who are on this show so regularly. And that was about some of the other albums by other bands that you have in your collection. I wanted to talk to, you know, about some of these albums, non-Kiss, that are in your collection that are important to you. So, um, Mark, why don't you let everyone know some of the other stuff that's very important to you musically that you listen to? Yeah. <laughs> well... Oh yeah, some of them you probably will, but I I think we'll this see. first, I think this first one you may not. Okay. Um, so back when I started playing in bands and stuff like that, I was into a uh-huh. huh, very cool. I, I was into you know certain bands and stuff like that, and every once in a while in a certain time frame of music, there's a band that comes along and totally redefines the sound of a genre. And this band definitely did it. And this is the bit, the album that totally knocked me for a loop. And I love this record. It came out in 94, I believe. And I still listen to it all the time. And it's Pantera, Far Beyond Driven. Mm. I love this album. This is like, this to me is a thrash metal masterpiece. You know, this is absolutely fantastic. I think it's Vinnie Paul's. A crowning achievement. Same with Dimebag. He did a fantastic job with this blue blue vinyl. It's from the box set that that came out. Um, but it's it's such a great record. And again, it was one of those situations where you had Dimebag come in and totally reset what a heavy metal guitarist sound should sound like. His guitar just sounded like nothing that was out at that time, and everybody kind of started copying that. Now, talking about guitar players. Another band that really got me into, and that I was into, and that's actually an artist, but his guitar player is somebody that I still refer back to quite a lot, and that's uh, Mick Ronson, and of course, you know, Ziggy Stardust is a huge record for me. This is my, you know, my Best Buy series version of the record. I I love collecting these versions of it, the Best Buy stuff. Uh, Another band that obviously was a huge influence and was probably the introduction to my love of, pro- of progressive rock music um, is this band. Yes. Right. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and this is the 30th anniversary tricolor nice. version of it. <clears throat> yeah. It's a, it's the anniversary. How version. the hell did they press that? They, I, I don't know. They must have made some kind of that. special special pucks to press that. Damn, that looks awesome. It's yeah, it's it's really cool and it sounds surprisingly good, of all things. And now the last two that I'm just going to show are b- albums that I got into when I first started playing guitar, like right at the very root. This is the album that made me love playing guitar. I I was I was just focused on rhythm guitar playing nonstop because of this guy and that's of course Tony Iommi and the first Black Sabbath album. Oh. You know, that to me is like every guitar player who starts playing guitar, you need to have this album because it's easy enough that you can pick it up and it's heavy and has some of the best riffs that you'll ever come up with or you know hear in metal music and it's su- it's such a classic album. And for me, the last one I'm going to show this album. I, I found later on in my kind of development of my progressive rock listening. And again, it was one of those records where when I heard it, I was like, holy shit, it just totally completely knocked me on my rear end. And it's a live album and it's Genesis Live, the first live album that they did 
with Peter Gabriel. I think this is a fantastic record. It's only five songs, but every single one of them is fantastic. Watchers of the Sky, you know, Get Them Out by Friday, Return of the Giant Hogweed, Musical Box. It's all awesome stuff. And if you like progressive rock and you don't own this, you really should think twice and go out and buy this one because it's a fantastic album. No Rush? Well, listen, Rush is don't tell here. Me to listen. Rush is here, and everything else is kind of under it. It should be Russia's common knowledge. Kiss, it should, it should be common knowledge that Rush would be part of know, part part of my collection. I have lots of Rush stuff, but I wanted to show something a bit different. So. All right. Yeah, I mean that would be like me starting and talking about Def Leppard. You know. It, yeah. It's, it's just kind of a given. It's not allowed. That's, that right. it's part of your collection. All right. Shock me, Lonnie. Well, I'm still gonna get. Well, you guys may don't put on. Do not put on your black leather, please. (laughs) Show yourself (laughs) off a little bit. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm still gonna say that the first one of my five, and it's gonna come as no surprise, is Appetite for Destruction. You know, screw you guys. You guys don't. You don't want to say Def Leppard, Julian. You don't want to say Rush, Mark. Fine. Number one for me is Appetite for Destruction. I knew you were gonna do. It's the most influential album to me outside of Kiss ever. I absolutely love it, front to back, top to bottom. It's, it's my favorite. Record. It's my favorite record, period. Um, and my brother and I, I got it on cassette when I was uh, eight or nine, and my dad had to go to Best Buy with me to get it because of fucking Tipper Gore. So, <laughs> so that's that's number one. Number two to me is uh. I had these written down to work before I left. Number two is Show and Tell by a band called Silvertide out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you guys have not heard of them, they are absolutely fantastic. They only have one record. Um, They reconvened a few years ago and produced a single called Try, 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 which is a great song, too. You can look it up on YouTube if you want. Um, But I saw these guys open up for Velvet Revolver back in 2004 before their first album had come out and they totally hooked me and I went and bought their EP after, after the show. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, these guys are incredible. And then their album came out in September I bought it the day it came out. And I've, I saw them a couple times since then before they, before they disbanded, but silver tide show and tell. Um, fantastic. Has a song called ain't coming home on it. Devil's daughter. It's great. It's great. And actually I'm, I'm friends with the uh, the lead guitarist and the and the lead singer on on Facebook, and they produced a side band called Sanaya, and they produced a song called they released a song in 2013 called "I Won't Walk Away from You," and that was actually the first song at my wife and I's wedding. is a Sanaya song, which is an offspring of Silvertide, so they're an important band to me, and it's an important album to me. That came out in '04, so that's second album. Third one. I put down is Velvet Revolver Contraband, which is Guns N' Roses' roots to it. Um, obviously, Scott Wilde is the lead singer. Um, I just mentioned singing Velvet Revolver in concert, and that album had such anticipation to me when it came out, um, just because it was the members of GNR with Scott Wilde singing it, and I absolutely love it and still listen to it very regularly. That's three. Number four is Alice Cooper. Billion Dollar Babies, just because that is again, I put it in the, I put it in the same category as Appetite. You know, 
front to the back, top to bottom, just absolutely incredible. Every song on there is a classic. And if you're an Alice Cooper fan, obviously you love Billion Dollar Babies. That's their signature album. And number five, I struggled with for a while because like, oh, I could say Use Your Illusion or, or something like that. I mean, but that's obvious if, if you listen to the show that I love guns. So I went with Black Sabbath Paranoid, kind of echoing what Mark was talking about with, with Sabbath because I put Paranoid right up there with the original. And I, and I was actually teetering back and forth. Do I want to go Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, or do I want to go Black Sabbath Paranoid? And I went Paranoid just because basically the song Paranoid and that it was one of my introductions to Ozzy. My older brother's really, really into Ozzy. Like, I'm really, really into Kiss. And the, one of the first Ozzy albums he bought was Speak of the Devil, <laughs> which, is, which is all those um, Black Sabbath covers. And Paranoid's like the last song on there. And I just dug Paranoid so much. So Paranoid, the album, gets my vote as my, as my number five. Just echoing kind of the same reasons Mark was saying. It's just such a great guitar-driven album. And again, like those other classic albums I mentioned, whether it be Appetite, whether it be Billion Dollar Baby, it's just top to bottom. Just every song on there is fantastic. Good picks. Some diverse stuff on there. All right, I'm gonna go next. Make Julian make Ken wait until last. Hopefully, the voice of reason (laughs) will bring us all back to back to earth. All right. First, first up that (laughs) might surprise you to know that I have this in my collection. Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. Um, It's a good album. I really was not much into that's a great pitch country or that style of music until I first saw Johnny Cash on TV. And there was just something about his voice, his chug-a-lugging guitars and, and whatnot, you know, that just made him very, very appealing as a musician, um, someone to watch. He wasn't a great vocalist, but he was great at what he did. He wasn't a great mm-hmm. guitarist, but he was great at what he did. His songs are fantastic. And the ones at, at Folsom Prison, it's such a great selection of songs. It's such a great performance and kind of the storytelling just as a package was just so unusual. I, I mean, I, I don't know how, how many English people actually listen to Johnny Cash with him being so Americana as such. But, uh, you know, just one of those things that really jumped out at me. And I've got a few Johnny Cash albums in the collection now as I continue to, start, you know, really kind of dive a bit more into his music and artistry. And all of this was way before he started doing those American recordings, you know, with uh, uh, at the tail end of his career. So, you know, great album. If you haven't listened to it, I really believe it's one that everyone should have in their collection. Um, next up, I did a podcast about this band. They've been a guilty pleasure for a long, long time. They're still around. Zodiac, Mind Warp, and The Love Reaction. Second, well, actually third. Hoodlum Thunder. Only, only, I think, released in France because that was after the time where they had a brief kind of foray on uh, MTV in 87, 88. They were Kerrang! Darlings in England for, you know, 86, 87. First album came out. Too many singles came out. Didn't get the album out. That They lost a record deal. Second album, great, great fucking songs. Sleazy, dirty. I mean, if you, there were bands like Guns N' Roses, you know, Zodiac, Electric Boys in Sweden, you know, that was, um, who was the other one? Circus of Power. You know, kind mm. of all the kind of the sleaze rock, but 
Mark Manning is just a kind of a poet taking the piss as well. So always, always loved his music. Still do. Will buy any album that I can get my hands on. And it's just you know, like shut up. Okay. Um, number number three, Men at Work, Business as Usual. First, mm. their first American album. I got you know the year it came out before I even heard anything on the radio. Uh, someone had sent it to me from England, and. I listened the shit out of that album, Johnny. You know, it, it, and it, to this day, it takes me back. I'm gonna s- sing a, a fucking Guns N' Roses song. It takes me back to that uh, special place or whatever. You know, uh, yeah, Paradise. I I can just hear Let's that. Yeah, I can just hear that album, and it takes <laughs> me back to 1981, 82, or whenever it came out, all those years ago, <laughs> and playing that thing over and over and over until the tape spool snapped. You know, so. <laughs> I, I still play that. If I'm if I'm in a you know like depressed, I can play that album to this day. All right, something a little bit more rock and roll. Halloween, Keeper of the Seven Keys, Part Ooh. Two. It's a good um, album. It, it's it's a real toss up between either of those. Part One, Part Two are both fantastic. Part Two's just got the edge in terms of some of the songs and performances. They were a fantastic band back then. Um, that has Future World, right? Part two? Yeah. 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 Um, no, that's one. It's got uh, Is Do- it? Dr. Stein, Rise and Fall. We got the time. Oh, the yeah. Okay. March of time, March of time in particular. As I started to kind of check out some more progressive bands, you know, my sister was listening to Marillion, uh, who I love, Ooh. you know, and love them. I could easily have had uh, the Thieving Magpie on this list just okay. because it's got all the hits and it's a great performance. But I wanted more metalized, progressive rock, and this was the stuff that was highly visible at that time that I was really starting to listen to music. So Keeper Part One was fantastic. I, I remember waiting for Part Two, Part Two, Part Two. Here it is, here it is, and holy shit, it was awesome. And then it came, and then they came out with a fantastic EP after the fact. All right, number five. That's going to be tough. Kingdom Come, In Your Face, the second album. Criminally underrated because of the stick that they got off the first album being a Zeppelin clone. The second album is just damn good rock music. I I don't think there's a dud track on there for me. It's remained in my collection when it's been out, uh, if I've lost it or whatnot over the years. It's come back in because it's always one. And I've never bought another Kingdom Come album after that, only the first two. And only the second one has made my list. All right, Ken, talk some reason to us about some good music. I'm not. I mean, if anyone knows me, uh, my tastes are all, all over the place. Um, uh, I have a, you know, eclectic uh, kind of music collection. Um, so I'm going to start off mine, and these are all based on uh, either bands or artists that I I got into via these first albums that I had purchased of them, um, and uh, which then led me down the road for to other albums by the these these artists. Um, and have given me lifelong, you know, uh, enjoyment listening to the music. So, having said that, in, in alphabetical order, we're going to start. Alphabetical. We're going to start with B here. Um, uh, and this is uh, yeah. Blackfoot Strikes. Awesome. And 
and actually this one um so this is a you know hard southern rock um great stuff uh they even got you know the, the albums that came after it were even you know more rocking than than this one um but it got me into this band and i went to their you know back catalog um and they were their music is just great hard rock and a lot of good hooks good good guitar playing uh double guitar you know uh a lot of slide guitar and so on um and actually this one that's funny i have this uh like a press release for strikes in here too um, but uh, so that's that's one of the albums. Um, and and that's a really good album. And, one of the artists. And, and I do want to thank you for introducing me to Blackfoot and telling me to check out their catalog. I do prefer the more rocking ones like I, Marauder. Um, Marauder, yeah. And Marauder is their their hardest rocking. I mean that that's just stellar. So yeah. Play that if you one want to rock, back to back with High and Dry. That's a hell of a bill. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a good two. <laughs> there. Um, now next. Uh, with uh, an alphabetical order, uh, E, uh, Electric, Electric Light Orchestra, um, Out of the Blue, the Blue, was my first uh, yellow album that I bought in the, in the 70s. Um, it got me into them, and then ever since then, you know, I've been a lifelong fan. Saw them a couple times, of course, in concert. Uh, you know, discovered their earlier albums where they're more progressive. Um, and there's some really cool stuff that they've done over the years. Um, you know, I think in the mid eighties, they kind of lost their way a little bit, uh, unfortunately, and then kind of, you know, disappeared. Jeff Lynn kind of went on the other stuff, obviously, and, you know, produced Tom Petty and so on. Traveling um, Wilburys. Traveling Wilburys, which is a great album. The so, first one, the first Wilburys. The first one. Is yes. fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Agree. So this is one. I think this is blue vinyl. Um, <laughs> like I pulled it out, but it's blue. That album's been reissued so many times. It's, it's like a really popular album. Blue. I have a clear vinyl. I love that one too. So, uh, okay. Next we got. This is uh, R. <laughs> I'll bet. Okay, Linda Ronstadt, one of my favorites. So this is the album that I had. And this is Heart Like a Wheel. Uh, I bought in the early seventies. That got me into her, which is just a you know, fantastic voice, and again makes all her her music her you know, the songs that she picks are she makes her own. I mean she doesn't write them. Uh, I'm no good on it. You're no good is on this one. Yeah. Uh, no among good. others like uh, uh, when when will I be loved was another big hit that was off of this, and actually the, there's a lot of songs on on this album that are great. I mean, there's songs written by, uh, for instance, Phil Everly, Lola mm. George, you know, that yeah. sort of Hank, there's a Hank Williams song. So, you know, just great stuff. Okay. Next one. Another R. Oh. And I think Mark's going to like this ah, one. Ah, look at that. Uh, Rush. Yeah, Feral Kings. This is the first album that I had bought from them. Actually, it was an 8-track tape originally. Uh, I remember going down to buy 2112. They didn't have it, so I bought the newest one that was ever out, and I hadn't even heard it. And it was this album, and uh, and you know what? I enjoyed it thoroughly too. Uh, and then, like the like Blackfoot, I went and bought their you know Rush archives to get the first three albums and and so yeah. on. And and yeah, and 20, finally got 2112. And then I was a you know big fan of them. Um, 
So I'm glad they, you know, uh, I'm glad I got into them. But, you know, again, another one, lifelong. Uh, A very British influenced album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one is a lifelong too. Is the first album I had bought by this artist, and this is uh, this is like the one where I say eclectic, you know. Um, this is Neil Sedaka, and uh, the first album I bought him is "Laughter in the Rain." Was off of this uh, big hit, and you know, level he wrote "Level Keep Us Together" with you know Captain Neil made a big hit. Um, uh, you know, Elton John uh, writes something right here because um, he went. He used to want to have Neil get on his label because um, Neil was kind of good success over in England. Um, and he wrote stuff about, you know, some of the songs that they put together for this. And But I've been a lifelong fan of, of Neil Sedeca. I think a very underappreciated artist, in my opinion, probably one of the most underappreciated for his talents and his uh, songwriting. So that's it. That's it. Oh, interesting. So there you go. There's just a little bit more taste of uh, some of the bands and albums that we like when we're not listening to Kiss, because life is not always about this one band. That uh, you know, when Lonnie was mentioning the wristbands that are activated by uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, uh, the Taylor Swift show. I can just imagine Kiss doing that. Your wristband is activated. Must buy Kiss shit. Must buy Kiss shit. It's a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's a little souvenir, though, when you get home. Like, oh, it's the wristband I wore at the show. Or or it's monitoring your heart rate. If you're not excited enough, it zaps you. (laughs) Shocks you. If it it hears you you complaining about the set list or critiquing any of the performances, it zaps you. Or like, or like, and if you if you starts controlling your or starts controlling your mind to make you go to the merch booth, spend more money. Yeah, <laughs> and if you mention Vinnie Vincent during the show, it makes you pee your pants. Zaps the show. All right, so that's the show for this week. Uh, you know, what are some of the albums that you listen to? Uh, you know, we want to hear about you people as well who regularly listen to our show and. Uh, you know, chime in with some of the things that you think might surprise us to find out are in your collections because, again, everyone has diverse tastes. And what are some of the other bands that you've seen that have done elements in their show that you think could work with Kiss? I think at this point, ultimately, it's far too late to be talking about this as their stage is designed. It's probably pretty much ready to be built, if not under construction in a hangar in Southern California right now. Um but still, you know, from a fantasy point of view, what are some of those things that other people have done? You know, blowing up things on stage, uh, chains. I don't know. Wendy Williams did all that stuff. She did the cool stuff already. Um, yeah, blow the car. Yeah, that you'd like <laughs> to see. But I guess for now, that's it. So from Mark, from Lonnie, from Ken and myself, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.